News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Hey guys, uh, episode 70 of the Luke Messia Show. Today, Raz Schaefer uh, comes back and joins us. You might remember Raz. He was uh, on quite a few of the first early episodes, but Raz joins me to talk about Just Mercy. It's a film that uh, has been made available free to many audiences uh, on Amazon Prime. And so Raz and I were just texting back and forth, realizing we were both watching this movie. And so decided just to jump on uh, Zoom the next day and have a conversation about it. Uh, This is a conversation that if you want to listen to, I'd appreciate it. But also keep in mind that if you're trying to figure out, you know, what Raz and I think about every single issue that's currently facing us regarding the racial tensions in the United States. You're not really going to get that from this conversation. Um, so if you're trying to read into it, please don't. It's it's a pretty nuanced um, situation that we're in right now. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are protesting violently, and there are those who are just protesting. There are those who are angry. Uh, there are those who are are just trying to communicate their belief system. And on uh, one, the other side, there are a lot of Americans, I think the vast majority of Americans, who absolutely despise violent protests, absolutely despise um, people who are destroying people's properties and uh, you know ransacking black businesses. And, and that's a major problem, even if people who uh, believe that injustice is going on. Um, and so either side that you are on regarding your particular emotional bent towards the current tensions that are here, uh, just understand that right now you've got two guys, Raz and myself, who watch this film and just kind of talk, use it as a springboard to talk about some of the different perspectives that exist um, within the injustices that have already, and we know the injustices that we acknowledge have existed within the United States of America, what those injustices are, um, some of the, the issues that exist. So if uh, I wanted to find a way to have a conversation around this issue also while not telling you exactly what the right answer was regarding every single item. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome back. It has been too long, Mr. Raz Schaefer. You are, uh, you've been absent and I guess I probably shouldn't complain because I haven't been inviting you, right? That's like, (laughs) for those who who listened to the show early on, Raz and I were on quite a bit uh, in those early days. And then I realized I really didn't like the inconvenience of having to coordinate this on a weekly basis. And uh, so my conversations are every other week. And then every other week, I really just like sit down whenever I want 10, 15 minutes. And Raz was getting in my way. So he hadn't been here. (laughs) I do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. He's a, you're a much bigger man than me. Okay. I don't ever get that. Yeah. At least literally, if not figuratively. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm never in anybody's way. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> you could get out of, I have to get out of the way. That's just my only option. Um, well, Raz, why don't you just give me uh, an update and we'll, you know, get back to other politics and other stuff at a later point. But I know that um, our, our uh, world is in a crazy time right now and um, wanted to bring on a, uh, a good friend to just chat about where things are going. Did you go to church today or? No, I've I've been doing podcasts and some of our lives or uh, sometimes there were live streaming. Our church is doing live streaming. Some they've been recorded. So yep. I've been probably doing some of those. Um, but it's been weird, man. You know, our, our church is starting. Uh, well, we've kind of relocated down to the Stephenville area. I live in Fort Worth, at least for the moment. And we've kind of relocated down to my parents' ranch where I grew up for the last couple months because I couldn't travel for work. And my uh, my boys twice a week most day out thing was done. So it was like, Hey, let's head to the ranch and have time with family. And it's been awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. as a, you know, not because of COVID, but sped up because we were down here, we've, uh, we're making some relocation plans to, to build a house down here mm-hmm. and enjoying the, uh, enjoying the country life, man. As you know, before, uh, about 15 minutes for this podcast, I've been out all day working on the tractor shredding, uh, shredding about 15 acres of, of, uh, of pasture. And, uh, it's uh, it's a good thing that I, I washed up a little bit beforehand because it's it's been I've been enjoying the the country life quite a bit. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, if your if your video gets a little splotty uh, or spotty on the on the recording, we'll blame the fact that you happen to be enjoying the country life more than yes. 
Um, so, uh, you know, Raz, I think that we were going to start this conversation. I just watched the movie Just Mercy, and I think you've watched uh, the movie recently and uh, read the book. And so it, it kind of provides a good starting point, I think, to just discuss that story a little bit, but then also maybe the broader um, issues that get brought up as a result of both that story and, and its application to the situation we find today. Um, you've, Absolutely. You've done, you've both read the book and watched the movie. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. I know you told me I need to read the book and, and I, I will think about it. I, um, you know, my book reading time is so limited that whenever there's a movie and a book, the book has like no chance. I feel like <laughs> that's the opposite yeah. of the way it should be, Luke. It's the no, opposite like of the way you're supposed to look at it. If there's only a book, I'm going to have to read that book, right? But if there's a movie, okay, I'm going to have to work on this and go like, I got that story. I, I got what they wanted to tell me. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my. Okay, we're going to have to work on that offline. We're how big is, on that, how, that character how, how, feeling. Book? How, how long is the audio book? Do you know? Uh, it was right about 11 hours. Okay. I knocked it out. I started listening to it earlier this week, and I locked, knocked it out in the last few days. Yeah. Um, it's it's really compelling. Yep. Um, and, uh, well, why don't you just give us a little bit of your thought process on that story in general. You have, you know, more of an understanding of, of the narrative than even I do, and I will add in some uh, additional observations. Well, I'll start out kind of just expressing why, why I read the book. Um, yeah, I think probably similar to you, as all this craziness has been going on the last several weeks, especially since George Floyd's uh, killing, it's you know, the search for answers and search for understanding has been uh, been pretty strong. Um, I don't understand a lot of what's going on right now. And I've, I feel like the message of this podcast is probably, I don't know, um, which is, but I, I think that's appropriate for this situation. And the, I'd, uh, I'd been talking with my pastor and just texting with him and he had recommended the book as if nothing else, a good place to understand some other perspectives to just to listen. And I think that's, that's a particularly hard skill for me sometimes listening. Um, but I think when you don't understand something, it's hard to uh, figure out how you can get a better understanding without listening. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll check out this book. And I, I'd, I'd seen the movie was available and um, you know, was, was free this it's free this month on Amazon prime. And I think some other places as well. And I said, okay, I want to, I want to watch the movie, but I also figured, hey, let's let's check out the book. Mm-hmm. And you, know, Brian, the guy that's the the writer um, that started the Equal Justice Initiative, he, he tells his story. He tells a story of the gentleman that's featured primarily in the movie, and uh, he tells the story of a lot of other people. Some, many of which are kind of brought in in some means mm-hmm. uh, through the movie. Uh, it's I think it's a powerful movie. I would encourage the book simply because it, it fleshes out a lot of things that. I think the movie doesn't have the time to do. Mm. Yep. Yep. Um, you and I probably spend a little bit more time around the criminal justice system um, than the average person, not on a personal level, uh, thank the Lord. But um, just from being in the political and policy sphere and initiatives, we've probably had a little bit more exposure. I feel like for the average American person, um, even just the injustices that exist within the criminal justice system aren't as obvious um, to most Americans. I remember when uh, the First Step Act was uh, recently signed in by President Trump, and you know I shared the press conference where that was rolled out that this was going to es- essentially become law, and saying, "Hey, this is a this is a great policy." Now, uh, I might disagree with some criminal justice reform. Uh, reformers on how far they would go. You know, some people think this is the first step and there's a second and a third step. Um, And there's going to be less and less agreement as you go more steps down the road. I don't want to go into too much criminal justice reform, but, but I really supported a lot of the policy that was passed and noticed that honestly, it didn't get that much attention from a press perspective. You know, the criminal justice system is not the sexiest thing to discuss, even reforming the criminal justice system. Right. And you have Republicans and Democrats coming together, the president of the United States saying, I want to pass this policy initiative, which really got it through the Senate. And um, and so just mercy to me is like a window into some of the injustices that exist that we know exist within the system. Some of it is 
also the just the historical and the historicity of the Alabama criminal justice system, a lot of these areas in the South, um, the injustices that existed within them. And so I, I do think that the, the movie, the narrative, the story is, is really good um, for anybody who uh, just thinks that there's nothing worth being upset about, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. We're going we're gonna to get into whether or not the, what the solution is, right? And, and what I think there seems to be even more disagreement over the solution than necessarily the problem. But uh, to me, the good news about Just Mercy is it's a very well done story, a very compelling, uh, accurate, uh, at least from a lot of the things shared. I've got a little bit of concern on, on the Herbert Richardson side that I think you and I mentioned. So I'll let you flesh that out a little bit more. Um, but the story is what it is, right? I mean, there are individuals that were put uh, behind bars. There were people charged with crimes they did not commit. And this is not something that has only happened to African-Americans, but it also is something that has specifically happened to African-Americans, right? And uh, even in this case, being done uh, in a way that seemed to also have racial motivations um, to some extent. So uh, anything else that you pulled from the book, even more so than the movie, when it comes to like real things that actually happened that came came to light? Well, I, I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways from both, I think you can get it from the movie, but just the the volume of stories that were shared in the in the book uh, helped to flesh this out more in my mind is you know one of the questions I think a lot of people have had over the last couple of weeks is you know why are pe- why are they so mad about the why are black people or why are protesters so mad about police? Why are they so um, why are they angry? Why is there such a level of distrust? And um, you know, why would they see protest as as their mechanism or in some cases riot as their mechanism of being heard? And, and I think that one of the things that came to mind for me is that I think that the police, they're the they're the most obvious um, initial point of contact. And there there I think there is you know some unique injustices that start there. Um, but you watch the movie, read the book, it really came through clearly to me that when, when we're talking about, even if we look at it as a historical thing, you know, so why would you be angry about, you know, we fixed all that, or we, we, we've done, we fixed these things. We've got these guys out of prison. It becomes a little more, quite a bit more clear to me why there could be some profound distrust of the justice system in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, police and law enforcement are part of that courts are another part of that. Um, I think how, how we view um, our role as citizens and how, you know, the, the idea of mercy versus, you know, quote, quote, justice. I think all those things are our facets. Um, but at least in my mind, I'm, I'm starting to play out the idea is, okay, so if we want to, to rebuild uh, or even just say build a trust in a justice system with a group of people that have been profoundly wronged in a lot of ways over a fair amount of history, mm-hmm. um, fairly recent history, what would we do? And I don't know the answer to that, but I do. It does become a little more clear to me that if you've got people who have grown up with their dad or their granddad in jail for something that they know didn't commit, or felt like it was the what happened was unjust, mm-hmm. um, you know, it becomes a little more clear why that might, might be some really profound anger about mm-hmm. those things. And I don't know what to do about it, but it has helped. I think empathize a little bit, quite a bit more with some of those frustrations and it has changed how I view the complexity of, of the quote unquote solution. Yep. Yep. I, I think, uh, you know, the, one of the quotes at the very end when they're talking before the U S Senate, he says, and this is kind of the idea, the theme of the, of the whole story, right? He says, we all need justice. We all need mercy and we all need some level of unmerited grace. Right. And um, I think one of the concerning realities that we're seeing play out is that someone's um, someone's feeling that they have not received mercy or grace makes them very unlikely to give mercy or grace in return. And what I mean by that is it's like, 
in some ways you have, a, a, so it's like a married couple, right? And, um, and so you might feel wronged by the other person. And if your attitude is they wronged me, I'm pissed, I'm angry, you know, no matter what they do, you're still going to be pissed, right? And you might even have unreasonable expectations for what they're going to do to earn back. And, um, and in that idea that within this discussion, I've been encouraged by some conversations I've been able to have this week because there has been um, grace and mercy in throughout the conversations. But there are a lot of people on both sides of this discussion that can enter the discussion completely unprepared to extend any mercy or grace to either oh, yeah. other side, right? It's not, it's not natural for us as people, right? And no. I mean, and that's, that's part of where is, you know, as Christians, we look at this and the idea of grace and mercy are something that we're familiar with because on a salvation eternal level, we know that we've been extended that when we didn't deserve it. And I think that that's where as Christians, we have a unique duty to, to try to show that, to try to be willing to, to turn that other cheek and to be willing to understand that there's, that we do need mercy and grace in a, in a pretty profound way. And that extends to those around us. There's actually one story from the book that's it's not covered in the in the movie, and it ties into this towards the end of the book um, when they've uh, after they've you know freed a different a prisoner had a different um, different case that got res that got resolved. There was this uh, old black lady that was sitting in the hall in this courthouse, and he uh, he was he, they made eye contact, and she called him over, and she sat down, and and she said, uh, "You're a stone catcher." And she explained the analogy of looking at, um, you know, he who cast the first stone, looking at biblical stoning and that, mm -hmm. and she used it to make a pretty profound analogy about grace and mm -hmm. mercy. And in her case, she had actually, her first entree to the criminal justice system was when I think it was her, her grandson was murdered mm -hmm. by, by two guys, uh, two young black boys. And they, um, after they were sentenced, she, she thought she was going to feel profound relief. She thought she would feel justice and she didn't. And mm -hmm. she realized how, how much uh, the family of those boys and some people that she saw through the court um, needed grace and needed mercy and needed love. And her, her, she ended up coming on a daily basis uh, just back to that courthouse just to love people and just mm -hmm. to spend time there and to hug the, hug the people that needed hugs. And she didn't care whether they were with the defendant or, or with the uh, the plaintiff's family, the victim's family, it, it didn't matter her. She just, she said, I'm a stone catcher. And she recognized Brian and what he was doing and and, and drew him into that and shared that analogy. And I feel like that's something that we need to, we need to think more about because it's, as Christians, we have that example. Mm. We live that example daily of what mercy is uh, and how, how much we don't want justice for ourselves and our own sins. And so that, I think that is a unique area where most of the world, especially non-Christians, it makes sense why they might understand what these things are, but mm -hmm. we don't have that excuse. Mm -hmm. We, uh, the, the foundational understanding of what requires what redemption and what is required to feel redemption is something that is a little bit, uh, is, is a little bit more potent to us and something that we've experienced, right? Um, it's interesting uh, when it comes to the Christian faith, right? Because we know that a penalty was paid, right? A wrong was committed and somebody had to pay. And so today I, you know, went to a church and did not wear a mask. I don't, I don't, please don't get, you know, nobody get pissed off in the internet world. If you wore a mask, that's great. I'm totally cool. I don't think you're any less Christian for wearing a mask. Um, but I walked into a building with 50 believers and we sang, we worshiped, and we spoke the words of Christ because Christ is the one who paid that penalty, right? And when injustice happens, you know, often we, it's easy to point out when the injustice happens, right? And to me, one of the things that's a little difficult um, to know in these situations. And maybe we just need to be okay not knowing within this. Maybe it's even important to communicate. Uh, let's not even get there with who's to blame because that's probably where you're going to have any more, even more friction is because 
there's frustration and injustice, but nobody knows who to blame, right? Is, are you to blame for being part of it? Are you to blame because you've benefited from it? Have you benefited from it? In what way have you benefited from it? Should you feel sorrow for that? You know, what, that's when I think we get into these more fundamental questions that are kind of ripping at the fabric of society. Um, to your mm-hmm. point, it's maybe our, our that's while we're trying to press in and one, understand uh, that a wrong has been done. Um, I might not believe that a wrong was done by me, right? Um, yeah. Now, I might have done a wrong. And if so, I'd like to know if I've done a wrong, right? Right. I mean, you and I both have people in our life that will wrong at some point. And there's a desire mm-hmm. who they are to say, hey, let's sit down. Let's let's figure out what we need to do to reconcile, right? And if I've wronged you, I want to communicate that. Um, and so I think that's an important, you got to be willing to do that. Um, you've also got to be willing to, uh, you know, actually, I, you, the, the one quote I saw that I think is relevant here is it says, there's no virtue in owning a sin you haven't committed, right? And, um, and so then the question becomes, a sin was committed against somebody. Now, let's all agree that this sin was committed. And, and for, I think, most people, that's really what we need to agree on, right? This sin was committed. This injustice happened. And then the question is, who committed it? Who's guilty how should they be treated? And then the question also, is there systematic problems that make this sin repeatable that are being ignored, right? That's another question, which I think is ready to ask. We had the uh, Mar Aubrey case in Georgia, you know, that happened. And um, and just with the, the death of a young man who was truly gunned down. And I mean gunned down oh, by yeah. two racist, bad evil people right and it's important for us to recognize too like if you watch just mercy and say oh wow there were some white racist people in alabama back then uh there are some very caucasian racist people in georgia like last week okay this isn't this is not something that has existed now racism it also isn't something that exists only within one skin tone right? There are racist people of all ethnicities. Um, but just real, real quick, I think part of what you mentioned there is, is we're dwelling on for a minute. It ties into, you know, looking at what is the wrong. Uh, and, and we can look on, on a micro level and say, Ahmed Aubrey was murdered. George Floyd was murdered. Th- these things happen. Yeah. I think that we can also say, okay, there are probably other parts that we don't understand, especially mm-hmm. when we look into the, the Just Mercy story and some of the stories you talk about in the book. Uh, these real life individuals and say, okay, there are, there are, there are, these are not a small number of people who over even just during Brian's time at working in this, uh, in the criminal justice system have experienced these types of things. So tying that in with the idea of turning the other cheek, when we have people who are, you know, people who are out there saying that we, that we're complicit, that we are, that we're racist or something like that, because we're, I'm white or because we're, privilege or whatever these things i think that's an example of where there's an element of owning or extending grace and saying these people are mad about real things mm-hmm. and i may not understand it and i may not need to own something because i did it and i think you're right there's no virtue in owning a sin you didn't do but i think that's where we say first of all i'm gonna extend mercy here i'm gonna extend grace because i don't i don't understand what's going on here um mm-hmm. i don't have to own it but I can also say there's a lot going on here yeah. and that ties into that listening side and say, okay, I don't think I am listen. Maybe I are, maybe I am in some way mm-hmm. and I can listen. And that's probably a good thing for me not to just definitely say, I have no part in this. There's nothing I could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the very least we can extend some mercy and say, okay, um, you're angry and you have a lot of right to be angry mm-hmm. and you're blaming me for this but I'm not going to respond in kind. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to try to find ways that I can be helpful in solving the, the real problems that are, are creating this anger. I think it's also worth, I want to preface that with, <clears throat> I don't think the vast majority of people on one side or the other 
are just pointing the finger. And I know that's, um, you know, at least from the discussions I've been having, right? So what happens most of the time, and what frustrates me sometimes, is just everyone's going to put you in the box, right? If you, if you communicate your frustration one way or the other, they're immediately going to go, I know exactly what you believe on all 10 issues regarding these race tensions right now, and I'm just going to stick you there. And it's a lot easier to do that with people. Um, the less that happens, the better. Uh, but but it's not, definitely, I don't feel like the vast majority of people, even people that are angry at the system, look at every single person that doesn't look like them and says, you need to apologize to me, right? Now, there are those who have that attitude. And then there are those on the other side that have the attitude, I didn't do jack, I ain't saying nothing. And almost in a way of like, you don't have, to your point, it can communicate that you don't have any reason to be angry whatsoever, right? Um, because if I'm not going to own it, which might even be correct that you didn't do anything wrong, but that does not mean that that person doesn't have some justification within their frustration, right? Uh, I, oh, yeah. I mean, we, it's easy to look at social media and, and say, I, I, think it, I think it does increase the uh, polarization, mm -hmm. at least, or at least the perception of it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think that in these conversations, the ones that we have off social media, there's probably a very different tone. There's probably a lot less blame. I mean, in social media, we're, we're casting this out to the whole wide world. And so it's, you know, it's very easy, yep. um, one, to say things that are, that if we took a second thought about it, do, do you really think that? And the answer would be no. Or yep. does everybody this way? But we end up paying with broad brushstrokes. And I mm -hmm. think that's part of why social media is such an unhelpful thing in this time is like have a real conversation with somebody white black brown yellow doesn't matter but have a conversation and especially as we've been locked into only social media contact for the last three months yeah. um that just makes things worse yeah uh <clears throat> we you know when it, when it comes to one of the points i was going to make within this conversation and this just goes back to to just mercy um there can, I, I know that there is valid concern of a pendulum swing one way or the other, right? And what, and I want to be really careful about how that could get, people could interpret that wrong by saying, oh, you want to be real, you know, slow about this. Any injustice that happens anywhere should be immediately rectified, you know, and, and done away with. Um, when, when they told the story, just the movie, I think, did a, a worse job than what you told me was done in the book, but there's a, uh, there's a character in there, Herbert Richardson, right? And Herbert Richardson in the movie is portrayed as this kind of nice old man um, who, you know, just made a mistake and has some issues in the head and was railroaded through a criminal justice system that, uh, it, in a sense, it, it kind of comes across to me as though, like, he, he's definitely portrayed as the victim. And this is what gets really messy within his situation because he actually committed a crime. Now, again, if you're jail or prison for not committing a crime, a crime you didn't commit, there is zero, you are 100% the victim of that situation. But in Herbert Richardson's situation, he did commit a crime. He did make a bomb to scare his girlfriend. 11-year-old girl picked up that bomb, This his girlfriend's, ex-girlfriend's niece, and she was killed, right? And if you just take a second, you know, my wife and I were watching the movie and again, we both thought it was fantastic, recommended to other people. But I told her that fact, you know, 90% of the way through the movie and said, hey, do you know what Herbert Richardson did? And I told her. And she said, wow, that puts a very different perspective, right? Because what I did was I just brought in, in this situation, and again, this is not like all the situations, but in the Herbert Richardson story, I just brought in the other victim, right? The 11-year-old right. girl. And yeah her family and her siblings and the girl with her and her aunt and all these other people that you now are thinking about. And all of a sudden there's not, you know, there's not just one victim in this situation. Now you brought up the point uh, that you felt like in the book, the message about Herbert Richardson, cause I don't think this is done well in the movie. So if anything, this is my, my one critique. And, and I think it kind of takes away from the story of Just Mercy and, and, you know, these injustices that happen. But it's kind of portrayed as this guy was just railroaded through the system. Um, I think you say that in the book, it comes across a little bit more like 
he just shouldn't have gotten the death penalty for a person he definitely killed, uh, an 11-year-old girl that he killed. And then maybe his, the level of insanity also that you described in the book is definitely not portrayed in the movie. So like, according to you, just the, the ultra level of insanity this guy was in, uh, his mental state was just completely out of whack. And you told me about the doctor who ruled him competent was actually later had the license removed, stuff like that. So why don't you just expound there? Because I just think that it's, it's important to at least have some conversation about the nuance that exists within some of the injustices that people are going to talk about within the system. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and as you mentioned, because of the way they portray that in the movie, uh, it, it can be, I think it could be used as for some people to, to try to undermine the um, the message of it overall, which I think would be unfortunate. Yeah. In, you know, in Herbert Richardson's case, um, he, he was a Vietnam veteran. He later had a car wreck, which, um, you know, was never, he was never treated for. He just literally drove home. And, um, it, it seems to have been the catalyst for some, some pretty severe, uh, mental problems. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from, you know, compounding with the PTSD he faced in Nam, he was, there's literally an, I think as they, they may mention the video or in the movie, but there was, he was literally the sole survivor of a ambush where his whole platoon was killed in Nam. Um, the guy faced some pretty serious stuff. It, it then went downhill. Uh, he started having all kinds of problems. He literally run outside, you run out of his house naked, screaming incoming and trying to warn his neighbors about mm-hmm. mortar shells and stuff incoming. Um, he ended up becoming uh, quite literally obsessed with this woman he was dating and uh, they, their relationship went downhill as a result of, his obsession and the mental problems and in an app in a crazy effort to win her affection back, he had uh, built this bomb. He put it on our front porch. It was timed. And, um, before it went off, it was, it was meant to basically scare her. And then he thought in his adult state that he was, she was going to come running back to him for safety. Um, before the bomb was timed, the timer uh, clicked down, her niece came on the front porch, picked it up and shook it and it went off and killed her. Mm. Um, you know, part of what this, what the book goes into great detail on is, uh, first of all, Brian never, uh, excused way down. He's very transparent as far as the, he did this. Um, he was, he, he was not all there. Uh, his mind was not functioning correctly. He, he didn't have intent to kill. Um, mm-hmm. but he nonetheless did kill, uh, mm-hmm. the intent to kill you know, factors into his assessment of the criminal justice system and the, uh, the fact that the, uh, it would probably take too long to go into all the different ways yep. that he was, he was done wrong there. But one of them, as I recall, I believe it was this case where the doctor who, uh, who basically said he was competent to stay in trial, uh, later turned out he was not a doctor. Uh, he was literally, they found out he was a fraud. He had no medical training whatsoever, no psychiatric training. It was just, but it, uh, committed fraud to get himself in as this, uh, this expert. and was in judging these guys who were mentally incompetent as competent to stay in trial. Yeah. Um, they, they, they would not, uh, factor in the intent to kill. Um, there's a host of, of really horrible injustices that occurred throughout the trial. Uh, and so I, I think that there are two things that they, um, that are important about his story. You know, one is that I think the the other side that they used, uh, more clearly in the just mercy movie was, uh, to give perspective on the death penalty and to really raise a question of, is this, is this right? Is this, um, is it the right way to handle these kinds of situations? In his case, uh, the book makes a very strong argument for why um, that he should have, that he should not have been given the death penalty under any circumstances, but also why there's, there's probably another, um, you know, he might've been, been put in a mental institution or some kind of other psychiatric help. Uh, but it, I think they use it in the movie as primarily a, a, to raise the question of what does the death penalty look like? What does that actually do? And, uh, so that as a result, there are some of the other perspectives on the case that are, are not highlighted just because it's in a feature film, not a, you know, 11 hour audiobook. Yep. I, uh, no, and I don't want to get into a huge rabbit trail of the death penalty, right? Um, I support the death penalty. I know uh, uh, Texans are like specifically more supportive of the death penalty. It's really interesting in the polling. I think last time I was looking like, even like Democrats in Texas are more pro-death penalty than Democrats in other states and stuff. I don't know if it's just a cultural thing or whatever, uh, the Wild West, um, but there's definitely a, uh, a support of, of that as, as something that exists for the most heinous crimes within our society, right? And then you get, I mean, you could be a supporter of the death penalty, but then also want it very, very minorly 
or narrowly applied. And then you can be somebody who opposes it altogether. And of course, there's a lot of people that, um, that oppose that as well. But I, I think that's separate from the Just Mercy story, um, the Ahmaud Arbery story, the, the situations. And Ahmaud Arbery and, and, and the Just Mercy movie, I think, are worth looking at together because Just Mercy is something that is set more historically there. So I could see some people watching it and going, oh, this has never happened again. And then Ahmaud Arbery is like a situation where I think we can see, uh, no, it happened like last month, okay? And by the way, that's a specific situation. I think that's different than the George Floyd deal where I think that people saw it and immediately took action. Ahmaud Arbery was something which really got seemingly covered up and not addressed and only addressed once it became very apparent that once the whole world saw it, right? Um, and so I think that's, you know, really, um, it's, it's, yeah, just a, an unfortunate thing, but it also tells us that, yes, this is happening today, right? And we still might, like I said, disagree on who all is to blame. And uh, that to me is probably where more of the tension is right now. And I don't know whether that means we should be talking more about that or whether it means now's not the time to talk about that. I don't know. What do you think? Well, it's just kind of going back to the death penalty real quick, because I think it ties in here. Even if, even if you're someone who is completely in favor of the death penalty at, mm -hmm. from a theoretical position of saying there are some crimes for which someone should die, that mm -hmm. that is, that is a pro even if you believe that's, that's completely appropriate, the, the Just Mercy movie and, and the plethora of stories in the book raise the question in, in my mind, is it possible to, to heal some of these wounds and to, to change this conversation if the, if the death penalty has been used historically? If this is true, which it seems to be, that it that has been used in many cases unjustly mm -hmm. um, against so many people that are African-Americans, um, is it worth it? Um, and even if it is, should it be considered as far as a, is it a policy question that we can say, as long as this is out there, there is going to be a very real fear among people that this could continue to be misused. And I don't know the answer to that. Uh, what I do know the answer is, I think that, I think that that is, uh, that you and I view the death penalty very differently than mm -hmm. a lot of the people. I mm -hmm. think that, that where Brian that wrote just mercy, what he views it is uh, one. I, I do think he's categorically opposed to it. Correct. Uh, Correct. I think that, frankly, yeah. I mean, but I think that some of the other reasons are that he is, he's seen a lot of examples where he's like, this was not a just punishment. Um, and so you can look at it from, from saying, okay, if this has been used so badly in the past, might that be something we say, we need to re-examine this, not because some people don't deserve to die, but because if we're going to try to heal these larger wounds and try to generate a trust in the justice system, that might be something that needs to be on the table. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think that's at least a, a window into the perspective a lot of people are having on this. And it's definitely something that's, that's churning in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um. It's, uh, it is a, you know, I go back to the Ronald Reagan quote when he says, we're blessed to not live in pale and timid times, right? And I feel like uh, he had no idea what 2020 was going to hold. Golly. That <laughs> deal. I don't not say the Cold War wasn't a big deal, but I'm saying that, um, you know, you don't really feel like uh, saying it in the middle of 2020. And, uh, and so, no, I think it's, I think it's really important that to your point, um, these conversations are harder and harder to have on social media. Uh, they're easier to have one-on-one. -on -one. Um, they're easier discussions to facilitate. Uh, it's something that people should be willing, uh, to do. Um, and I know I've said this a, a bunch of times, I think on both sides, cause I think our message has largely, what we've been talking about is largely why people who don't think that there's as much of an issue should at least examine and be aware and understand and hear and see. And that comes from your and I's perspective. I also think um, 
on the other side of this, the people who are very angry because of the injustices that exist. And I don't want to sound like I'm not very angry because I mean, that movie pissed me off. You know what I found interesting about Just Mercy, which is why I like it, is that they keep having these breaks in their case. And then you're like, sweet, they have the recording. It's over, touchdown. And then, you know, it gets shut down. It's so much worse in the book. It's so much worse in the book, man. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, just the, and it's, it's not just his story. Yeah. It's, there's so many of these and it's, it's absolutely gut wrenching. I I honestly, I couldn't watch, I I was halfway through the book when I started watching the movie. I couldn't watch the movie until I knew how the book was going to end. I just, there's something about it. It was so, just the book itself was so gut wrenching to me that I was like, I don't know if they're going to kill this guy. Like that's, I was like, I I straight up, I had to stop watching the movie. I was like, I got to finish reading the book. Cause I can't take is like, I don't know if I can watch the movie knowing all of what I know now. I don't know if I can watch the movie. Damn killing this guy. I mean, mm. it was just straight up. Just, I, I had to turn it off. I, I couldn't, couldn't watch that. And it's, there's so many more in there. Mm. And, and the, there is some people I've seen on social media. I think there's an attitude of like, well, why are you so mad about that? We fix that stuff. This you know this guy was released from prison in 1993. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I know we had a lot of people that were that maybe listened to this that were born since then. It's not that long ago, or at least in the <laughs> the idea of you know this 30 something. It's yeah. not that long ago, and and even if you do think that all of a sudden at 1993 everything was fixed, and there were no no other areas uh, where this judicial system could have been used to abuse people since 1993. If you had an uncle or, or like your whole family, let alone community, was raised with this is in the background of this is why you this is how they will treat you or they can treat you and with with like real life examples of people you're blood related to, how would that color the way you look at the police or look at a judge or, or your concern level with being arrested or detained? I mean, this is is really horrific. And and there was a there's an article that I read um, by a, a Minneapolis defense attorney who basically said, okay. Um, it was like, what if, what would have happened if George Floyd had lived? And it was really an interesting question. And it, and it actually, it highlights the perversity of, of the, of the justice system in a different way. So for background, Floyd, he, the 911 was called because there was a, a clerk that said he, that he used a counterfeit $20 bill. Yep. Um, I have not seen conclusive evidence, whether it was, he literally just had one. I've seen nothing that suggested he, he forged it. Um, but I have seen examples where you know, people were questioning what, maybe why he had one in his possession. Either way, he gets, they get called. He's detained by the police a few minutes later and ends up um, not wanting to get in the cop car because I didn't get, do anything wrong. I don't know why you're arresting me. And then that degenerates into them. You know, the guy put his knee on his neck and, and killing him. But the, the story goes on to basically say what would have happened. And it said, well, he would have been charged with uh, resisting arrest. Uh, failure to, you know, failure to follow lawful order, and the forgery, and possibly assaulting a police officer just for resisting. Yeah. And the the guy makes a convincing case for why Floyd would eventually have the tw- the forgery dropped, but would have been prosecuted, convicted, and uh, put had jail time for the other two. Yep. And you look at that. It's like, how does this make sense? Yep. And it's like this is ridiculous that he would have had the reason he was stopped. That was dropped, but because he said you didn't have any reason to arrest me, what are you doing? What this doesn't make sense because he questions and wanted an answer, didn't want, didn't want to just hop in the cop car. Um, it's like that's perverse in and of itself, and you know he uses that to highlight that these things happen on a not infrequent basis. Yeah. So I think when we look at the, there's some serious distrust, not just the police that that gets they get the headlines as far as the as far as the protests and stuff. But I think that when you watch just mercy and read that book, you start to see how this is the police are the gateway. They're the first interaction people have with the, with the judicial system. And they're the ones that get blamed with that. But actually the blame, as far as the perceived blame, if not actual blame goes to the entire judicial system, because yeah. you see these situations where it's, it's not the police may be in the arresting officer, but even if the, the police officer did things right, the judicial system is used as a beating stick and in some pretty horrific ways. And I was like, man, that's, I don't know how you fix some of that, right? I don't know the answer to some of that, but I, I can look at that and say there are significant problems here. So I, I don't want this statement to sound to anybody like I'm giving you, you know, all the, all the solutions. Our criminal justice system is 
very much broken down into classes, right? And a lot of it has to do with how much you can pay for a good defense attorney. And that's the unfortunate thing that I think is that just when you, the more I look at the system, um, it's not, I mean, I know some great district attorneys. I know some great assistant district attorneys. I know some really good defense attorneys. I know some disgusting defense attorneys, you know, all sides of the system. But the system as a whole, at the end of the day, there I see unequal justice for anybody who's basically stuck with a public defender. And that's not even to say that I, I know people who are public defenders and who work really hard, but I'm saying that basically white, brown, black, yellow, if you're really poor and get arrested and have additional problems and get stuck in jail, this system is going to really wreck your life. And if you've got financial means and you run into an issue with law enforcement, as long as you can write a check, there's going to be enough protections. Because in a sense, the Constitution protects you enough, but the system is not set up to protect your constitutional rights at every single level. And again, that's not, I don't even have all the solutions either, but that's just kind of how I've seen it the more I've observed uh, the existing system that, that is there. Um, I'm not. Well, it, it's kind of, kind of building on that. I think there's a, there's a, a host of, I think, injustices that people might attribute to racism that I think you, it can be traced to other things. It doesn't make them less less unjust, but it, it it does actually complicate the the solution because if it was if everything was attributable simply to racism and hating people with a different color skin, then you could look at a mental change and say, okay, well, we need to change people's lens. We need to convince them that bigotry is wrong. That would be one thing. But I actually think that, and this is something that's underlined in the in the book in the movie. I think there's there's parts of it where there are there are other incentives that mm -hmm. are at play a district attorney that, that says, Hey, my job is to convict people. And I put my faith in these police officers and I'm going to use everything within my power to throw at this person and sees that it sees that as their job, which in a, in a certain way it is. Uh, but how that plays in to the, with the charges that are filed and, and, you know, adding all the possible charges, whether or not we look at it and say, do they deserve that? Uh, and, and view that as a tool and how they use that. Um, there's a lot of these facets that I think you know, I'm not convinced are, are being used in completely racist ways, but they do have a huge effect that can appear that way. Yeah. Right. And so whether or not it is, we need to pay attention to some of those things as we're looking towards any types of solutions. And the socioeconomic disparity that exists um, within, you know, the, the color of people's skin as a whole in the United States of America is going to have, massive effects, right? It's going to affect oh, yeah. the, the uh, amount of single parent households within the black community versus the Hispanic community versus the white community versus the Asian community is going to have a massive effect. Like these things are going to then cause your interaction maybe to increase within the criminal justice system, which is then going to cause you to encounter the injustices that even exist within the criminal justice system more often. Um, to that, I, I, and I will we'll specify the only pushback I'll give is I do think that there are a lot of people on this one that are pushing the pendulum too far because we, you know, this criminal justice reform movement can get taken away to the point to where, and you even saw it recently with COVID where you had, you know, local district attorneys uh, that are basically refusing to even prosecute certain crimes. And um, when you have entire cities that go, Hey, you can steal a thousand dollars worth of stuff and we're not going to prosecute you. you know, that, there's actually a, a problem. So there are some urban areas that we're actually seeing the criminal justice, the desire to reform a broken system, actually pendulum swing to the point of not keeping the community safe. And um, well, and that, that's where I think we've got to be careful about, um, about directing, making either, making e any big policy prescriptions without taking a, a serious deep look at this, right? If you look at the, the suggestions of the the Black Lives Matter the the organization. Yep. Uh, if you look at the there's another one. There's like Quick Eight or something about eight. They have eight policy solution prescriptions. Like when I look at the policy prescriptions that these that some of these national groups have, I'm left completely baffled. Um, yep. I don't believe. I like. I think the system would be worse if they just implemented them, especially yep. if they just thought the problem was fixed. Then, yeah, I think that's where we have to say, okay, 
let's let's like have an idea what the problem is. And there's a lot of small ones. There's some big problems. I think there's a lot of small problems that unless we actually take a deep dive into this, into what this what the problem is or what the whole issue is, we can't possibly solve it. And we could make the problem much worse. Yeah. I will say that's not an excuse for inaction. That's not an excuse for that. There are some things that probably should be done very rapidly. Yeah. But I think that it's really easy, especially on social media, for us to say, hey, let's get behind the Black Lives Matter national movement or these quick uh, bite-sized policy prescriptions. And to, and people would think that their job is done. And that's not going to solve the problems that Brian talks about and that, that just Mercy is, is highlighting. Yep. Well, Raz, thanks for coming. Thanks for talking. And um, it's my pleasure, brother. I don't know if we solved all that much, and uh, there's a whole lot <laughs> unsaid. And um, I will close. You know, I, I still have a also overarching concern because um, I think in the course, of, and it happened again today with a, a very good friend of mine who posted you know, made her Facebook post to all of her white friends to hear a certain message. And I honestly have oh, gosh. more racially tinged uh, communication on social media in the last two weeks, which I'm, I'm really, really, really concerned about because it's, it's difficult. Uh, I feel like if I titled this conversation, Raz, like two white guys review Just Mercy, a bunch of people would listen to it, right? Because they'd literally be like, yeah, let's yeah. see what two white guys think about Just Mercy. I'm not even white, I'm brown. Um, uh, it depends. I've been inside a lot recently. I need to get outside so that I look more brown. But, um, but it, it's really scary that that's where we're at. And it's actually, I think, unhealthy that we're at a societal place where in the course of trying to address racial tensions, people are becoming more racist within their language. And, um, and that's just a, another generally concerning trend that I see. I think that people, regardless of whether you watch Just Mercy or read policy initiatives for criminal justice reform, if you don't have an understanding to your point of redemption, if you don't have an understanding uh, the, to the one reality that we're in a fallen world with injustice that does exist and has existed before any of us showed up and will exist, when we leave this planet, if we leave, if we leave, unless the Lord tarries, which I'd be totally cool with. Um, but in that circumstance, injustice exists, and it's those injustices, and it's our hearts yearn for justice that I think our Creator fulfilled in His Son, and that understanding of redemption and also the price, the cost of grace and mercy and redemption. It got paid with a price. Um, and I think a lot of people want to know who's going to pay the price. And at least we also have a message that these injustices have been paid for. They have been. They have been paid for with the blood, I think, of Jesus. And I believe and I have faith in that. Uh, and I don't say that to just wash over it and tell people, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. They've already been taken care of. But it's to say that also you could pass your eight policies. You could read all your books that you want all your white friends to read so that they understand. You could go to a bunch of protests. And did you know that you could defund every police officer in the country? And in five years, you're going to have a bunch of injustices. And they're going, your heart's still going to yearn for justice. The good thing is we should yearn for justice, but we need to make sure that we don't create even more hell in our pursuit of man-made solutions to a fallen world. I don't know. So that's just another general observation. But I got, I got one, one final point in a story as we're wrapping up. Um, as far as suggestions, we've already kind of covered that we don't really have a whole lot. Um, we don't know the answer to a lot of these problems. We don't even necessarily have a full grasp of the scope of some of these injustices. But when it comes to how we're interacting people on social media, that's an easy area where we can extend some grace. Yeah. Um, instead, you know, if you see somebody post that you disagree with, instead of flaming them and embarrassing them, even if you think that what they said was was wrong, I I, I don't an older lady that I know that shared a post on on Facebook earlier today about George Floyd that I felt was 
I just felt was wrong. And some of the, a lot of the stuff on the, the picture and the graphic was completely made up by some asshole that, that made the thing. It was completely wrong. And it was all about trying to blame him for his situation and trying to scripts. I mean, he, he was, he was a felon, but trying to make some huge, long, very egregious uh, criminal history as if that somehow um, you made it okay. Well, instead of just flaming this lady on Facebook, I sent her a private message. She messaged me back and says, Oh my gosh, I'm so, thank you so much. I, I took it down. I'm, I'm horrified. Uh, maybe try to do something like that. Maybe if someone's attacking you, don't attack back, turn the other cheek. You're like, I don't understand. It's like one of the, one of the things I remember somebody telling me is hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so recognize that if someone's trying to lash at you, they're doing so from a place of hurt. That that's, that's a primary emotion they're feeling. And so maybe don't try to fight back. It doesn't mean you're owning something that you're, that you're not responsible for, but maybe just turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. The, the story I'll end with, in the movie, uh, he goes to visit, uh, he, uh, Brian goes to visit the jail and the guy strip, basically makes him strip search. He's a clear, uh, clear means of humiliating him. Um, in the book, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happens. He, got, he literally shows up at the jail. There's just um, this, this truck with a gun rack and all this horrific, you know, really racist slogans and stuff and bumper stickers on this truck. He goes inside and that's the guy. He makes sure that Brian knows that that's his truck and then makes you know, strip searches and stuff. And that guy ends up being the, uh, being the officer that takes uh, one of the, one of the other guys that is that Brian represents, who is a, a mentally deficient gentleman, mm-hmm. he ends up being um, the guy that takes him to the courthouse where this guy's uh, hearings are, leading up to him eventually, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, being exonerated. And through through hearing the injustices that, like being in the courtroom with this defendant, this this racist, this gentleman that had had forced him to strip, he hears these stories and and he's appalled, mm. and. And just one of the the most beautiful stories in the book, this guy, the defendant, every time that uh, Brian would go visit him, he would ask him for a, I think it was a chocolate ice cream cone. And this, this poor guy who had been, you know, wrongly imprisoned um, is, is just, he's trying to get Brian to get him an ice cream. And he's like, I I can't, I'm going to try again next time. This guy who would, who would, strip search and demean and humiliated Brian. He's, he's come, he, he, uh, he sees Brian coming and he, uh, the, the guy he's, Brian's ready for this guy to give him the third degree. Mm-hmm. And he, he walks up and the guy says, uh, yeah, he says, yes, sir. Uh, I've got you checked in. You're good to go. Uh, and Brian was shocked. Um, and he, he says, well, okay. He's like, sir, I, I wanted you to know something. Um, it's like, I, I, this is, I wasn't supposed to do this, but I want you to know that on the way that I was on the way back from that hearing, I took this guy and we went, I got him an ice cream cone Mm -hmm. and it changes the guy's whole world. Mm -hmm. He he sat in that courtroom and he heard what had been done to this man. And I mean, somebody, if you look at somebody, the talk about somebody with a hardened heart, this guy had it. Mm -hmm. And through sitting there and seeing this and spending time with this man in a, in a jail transport, yep. his whole world was changed. Yep. And I wish they would have been able to show the second half of that story. Cause it's, it's, it's incredibly powerful as far as that man's mm. quote unquote redemption, if you will, and how his world changed. But it's, I think we need to, I think we need to think about that as well. And yep. that God has the power, whether it's in our own hearts or those of others, God has the power to soften those hearts. And we never know, what it may be that does it. Mm. Yep. Yep. Raz, thanks for coming on and thanks for talking. And uh, thank pleasure, you man. From shredding 15 acres. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we're going to make it through 2020 just fine. Our nation will. Yes, sir. Um, and, uh, and regardless of the results of the next six months, we're going to uh, continue to have opportunities to speak into people's lives, to fight for justice on every single level and to hopefully provide the world uh, a better recipe for redemption um, than, than that of what a lot of people are prescribing. Um, but thanks for coming on and, and having a conversation, Raz. 
My pleasure. Hopefully our random ramblings don't get us in too much trouble, you know? So we have not. Yeah. You're, you're a good man and uh, God bless you. Okay. Same to you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messiah show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.